Okay, hello everyone and welcome to ACTUS Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. ACTUS Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to ACTUS. Today, Wednesday, March 22nd, marks our 64th program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of ACTUS, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists. I'm your host for today's program, ACTUS Conference Preview, Anatomy of a Surgical Note. Uh, today's show does mark the start of four consecutive programs, which will be taking you up to the start of our 10th annual ACTUS Conference in Las Vegas. I'm joined today by our regular co-host. On your left of your screen, you can see her there, Laurie Prescott. Uh, Laurie is the CDI Education Director for ACTUS and BLR Healthcare here in Middleton. Um, she's the lead developer of our ACTUS boot camp line. She's also a former CDI manager. You can see her, her uh, nursing experience there. Uh, Laurie recently authored the CDI Specialist Training Guide and is also um, right now finishing up some final touches on the upcoming Essential Guide to Supporting Quality Care Measures, and that will set the publish uh, we'll be set to publish on April 27th. So excited to have her on the program again. Welcome back, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. All right. And uh, next, I'd like to introduce our industry guest on today's program. We have with us today Francis Frank. Uh, Fran is the manager of clinical documentation improvement at Stanford Healthcare. Uh, she has over 25 years of healthcare experience and more than nine years of CDI management experience as a leader with an emphasis on clinical quality outcomes. She has extensive experience of presenting to physician groups and organization leadership on quality and clinical documentation improvement. And of course, Fran is going to be uh, co-presenting this particular session in, in Vegas in May. And I'm excited to have her on for a, a short preview of what we can expect to see in, in just a few weeks. So welcome to the program, Fran. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, as we always do, I'm going to start with um, a poll related to today's topic. We'll ask our uh, attendees to weigh in with the appropriate choice, and we will come back to the results in just a few minutes. So the question we're asking today is, do your CDI specialists currently review surgical notes and reports? Um, your options are no, maybe you don't see the opportunity in doing so. No, it's not assigned to CDI. Uh, is it sometimes for a difficult case? Uh, yes, maybe it is part of your regular assigned duties now or uh, not applicable. Again, do your CDI specialists currently review surgical notes and reports? Uh, no, we don't see the opportunity. No, it's not assigned to the CDI department. Uh, maybe you do occasionally for a difficult case referred to you by HIM coding. Um, yes, it's a regular part of your assigned duties or not applicable, maybe for those that aren't working in the acute care setting. All right, we're going to go ahead and close that out and we'll come back to the results in just a few minutes. So as I mentioned, our, our guest today there is uh, Fran Frank. Again, welcome to the program. You've actually been on with us once before, Fran, probably a, a solid year ago, but I'm glad to have you back on to talk about this topic and give our audience a little preview. So 
maybe we could just start providing context as I usually like to do. Could you talk a little bit about your role at Stanford Healthcare and the CDI program there in general? Yes, yeah, sure. So here at Stanford, we have had a CDI department um, very strongly supported by our administrators all the way up through our C-suite, very much um, supporting all of the efforts that our department does. We have had the department in place for many years, actually, here at Stanford, and I'm glad to be a part of it now. I've been manager here for, it will be going on two years coming this July, and it's been a great opportunity, but also it's great to be a part of a department that's very progressive and trying to support a standardization that is of an upper echelon, so to speak, in our specialty of clinical documentation improvement. So it's exciting to be a part of it here at Stanford, but it's a, exciting to be a part of driving what's going on in our industry across our country. Excellent, excellent. And now maybe just to elaborate a little bit on that, so you guys have been in existence for how many years as a CDI um, department program? As a CDI, here at Stanford, we've had a program here for over 10 years. Okay. And the development in the last five years, especially with the transition to ICD-10 and all the prep that went behind that over the several years before ICD-10 finally went live, because as we all know, it was postponed a couple times. Um, all that preparation and now post-ICD-10, our work is transforming. Our whole industry is transforming, and it's we've definitely been able to put in place a lot of um, best practice here at Stanford, and we try to promote that in the industry as well. You know, Fran, you, you've mentioned how um, ICD-10 and multiple demands on CDI are transforming what we do, and I think um, procedural coding is, is one of those issues and focuses um, that we've, we've grown into more so with ICD-10. So could you lend to us a little about the training that your CDI staff has needed to successfully look at op reports and how um, maybe their roles changed a little since um, that's become a, a focus? Right, right. So here at Stanford, our CDI actually don't go through any additional training because CDI review surgical notes and reports as a part of their assigned duties. However, with that being said, it does make a big difference. The more review of surgical notes and reports is done, the better people become. And understanding the anatomy and physiology can't go without being said. It, it's essential to being able to review surgical notes and reports, so an understanding of the anatomy and physiology. And now with ICD-10, the amount of coding and the specificity that's now required with the coding is really important to have more experience and continued exposure. As far as certifications, I would not say that a certification is necessary for CDI to be able to review surgical notes and reports. However, the strength um, in experience as time progresses and then the additional certification, the CCDS certification, for example, always supports 
the continued growth and knowledge that a CDI would have specifically for reviewing surgical notes and reports. But I might add that this is just an example, and this just happened the other day in our department. Uh, I was talking with one of our new CDI specialists, and this is a nurse with over 15 years of experience, and we actually uh, hired her into our department. Um, she has no CDI experience prior, and she's in her fifth month um, of orientation and, well, in the position. And she was saying that she was looking at a, a procedural report, and it was for a drain placement. And she said, I don't know where that drain terminates or where's the tip of the drain. And that was exactly the point uh, that I was making with her when she and I were going over the report, because the report is not clear. And this is an opportunity for us to help our proceduralists, our surgeons, write better notes. It's not only about querying so that we can capture the codes, but it's so that the note itself is as clear about what occurred during the procedure. And that really is uh, the essence of what the presentation is going to be provided in Las Vegas. It's looking at the anatomy of a surgical note and breaking it down. And what should we as CDI specialists be taking into consideration? So it's it's really an exciting topic, and I'm glad that we're getting a chance to voice a little bit more about it. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe you could talk to our audience a little bit about, you know, sort of the, the opportunities you found, what's typically a need for clarification, what, what benefits maybe that you guys have derived from surgical case review. Yeah, what we have found is that a lot of physicians, of course, and I think many people will find that there's certain templates that the physicians are using, and they use the templates as a guide. Now, sometimes the templates need to be updated, and that's one of the things that we're finding and in talking with other CDI, not just at Stanford, but from other areas, uh, updating the templates and working with the surgeons or the proceduralists to update their templates is essential. Some of the things that the templates are not real clear about including are those things that are incidental, and there can be some confusion if they have a complication section. They, in the complication section, will often put those things that were complicating the course of the procedure, but they are not necessarily complications. It was. Um, friable tissue. Uh, there may have been, because of the anatomy, lesions that were complicating the course of a surgery. For Those are just a few examples. So helping the providers update their templates to take into account those things that are incidental, those things that are complications versus those things that are complicating the course or making the course of the surgery or procedure more difficult. These are ways that we can help our surgeons and proceduralists. Great, thank you. You know, surgeons, I've worked with surgeons through my entire career, and they can be a challenge. So um, do you have any recommendations about how the CDIs can work with the surgeons to help them with their templates or to help them better write the notes? Are there ways to engage the surgeons in this process? 
Yeah, I think that that's a really great question because it is one of the most challenging things that CDI face when they're working with surgeons. And one thing that I have found consistently is the whole idea of building that relationship with the surgeons. Surgeons love to teach. And one way to tap in and build a relationship is to ask the surgeon, can you help me understand? I really want to learn more about it. I really want to understand more about it. And so the CDI specialist may have a, a real good understanding of the anatomy and what happened, but in order to build that relationship with the surgeon, it's a good idea to tap into that desire to teach with the provider. And I think that that is one way for sure that the relationship is built, but also you have an ability to then get in there and make those efforts for updating templates, for example. Let's work together. And appealing to their teaching side is a good way to do it. All right, I like Excellent that. point. You know, um, well, I got to say that this is one of the the, um, the the full NAMIA session is actually anatomy of a surgical note, and, and then it concludes with a CSI analysis of operative notes gone bad. <laughs> so I, I it, it sounds pretty fun, and I I, I know your co-presenter very well, Cheryl Manchin in 3M, um, very knowledgeable, quality especially, but about this topic. Um, maybe you could just share a little bit about more about what you guys might plan to present. Um, what exactly is a sure. CSI analysis, and 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 maybe maybe what else you'll be sharing with our audience in uh, in Vegas? Sure, sure. So we decided, you know, let's let's pose this from a fun, take a fun approach, and we wanted to uh, appeal to um, just the lighter side because this is there's a lot of intense information in um, reviewing. Uh, operative report, especially one that details a great amount of anatomy, a lot of different things being done during the surgery. So we approached it um, as if, all right, wait a minute, let's, let's do an analysis of an operative report. And let's say we're putting that operative report, it's on trial. And so that's how we have put together our presentation. So we do have prosecuting attorneys presenting information and basically, um, all right, wait a minute, the charge, what is the prosecuting attorney posing as the charge with regards to this operative report? Well, this type of surgery that we're addressing in our presentation is a surgery that is performed all the time. So a surgeon is doing a low anterior resection, a general surgeon, and they perform a lot of LARs. So they have a template, and to them, the template is perfectly clear. It's, it's very straightforward, it's easy to read, and they're not happy with the, the way the case gets coded. So maybe the real problem is the template that they're using. So that's how we approach our presentation, and we have the defense attorneys presenting information, and the defense is HIM, the coders, CDI, wait a minute, what's, um, what's going to be the impact of the DRG assignment based on the surgery from the coding of that operative report? And what are the impacts to quality? So there's also a defense from quality. 
and we're just being playful with the presentation and we're excited that uh, people can look at things creatively. How can we approach clinical documentation improvement and surgical notes, the operative notes? How can we create, how can we approach that creatively? And that's why we put the presentation together the way we did. All right. Sounds, sounds like fun. Sounds like, sounds like a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, any chance it's going to make the real CSI on TV, or is this just a, a one-off in Vegas? <laughs> well, in my mind, I completely imagine it making the real CSI. <laughs> so uh, Cheryl and I, we, we were just kind of giddy when we were putting together the ideas and the groundwork for the presentation, and uh, we've just, we get smiles on our faces. We don't see each other very often in person, and when we do, we, we laugh, and when we don't see each other, we can see the grins on our faces when we're talking about the topic. So it, I, I hope that the audience will see the, um, see the fun in it as well, and we're just promising to have a good time in Las Vegas. All right. I'm looking forward to it. I'll go ahead and I will uh, share our results of our audience poll. Hope you guys can all see this. Again, we asked, do your CDI specialists currently review surgical notes and reports? And um, as we can see here, an overwhelming majority, 93% say yes, they do as part of their assigned duties. 3% um, have sometimes for a difficult case. 1% do not. It's not assigned to their CDI department. Uh, and 3% not applicable. So again, uh, by far the overwhelming majority do do this as part of their assigned duties. I guess I'm a, I'm a little surprised by that. I thought it might be a little lower, but um, looks like more and more are finding the value of doing this. Any any thoughts and comments on this report? Maybe I'll start uh, with with you, Fran. Yeah, I um, am not surprised. I. I think that there are, especially since ICD-10 and the amount of training that was provided, um, the PCS codes, that whole groundwork actually set the stage, I think, for um, reviewing of surgical notes and reports being a part of assigned duties. So that may be something to take into consideration, but I was very glad to see that as many respondents did respond that they are including that as a part of assigned duties. Absolutely. Anything from your perspective, Lori? I, I love that it was at 93% because um, I, I see such great value in CDIs being involved in that. Um, oftentimes when I'm teaching, that's the conversation I have because people say, well, it takes so much time and it doesn't really affect things. but. Um, CDI, if our goal is to make sure that documentation is complete and correct for the patient and to hand that coder um, an op note that does not require any more questions, um, we're, we're reaching that goal. So I'm excited to see that that larger percentage are saying that they're looking at the notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just got, we got a, just a couple fun comments. Um, from uh, from our audience, one one person wrote that reviewing op notes is fun. Uh, I was, I was taught to type that's out the great. actions that are in the notes. So yeah, go, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> but if people are enjoying their jobs, that's important. All right, 
So we'll go ahead and move to our uh, next segment of the show, which of course is in the news. Um, go ahead and make sure this is pulled up for, you, for everyone here. Uh, this is a regular feature bringing you closer to uh, industry news and updates relevant to the CDI profession. Hope you're all seeing this on your screen now. This is a recent article from Kaiser Health News entitled, By Law, Hospitals Now Must Tell Medicare Patients When Care is Observation Only. Um, you can find the article here. This is a free service, uh, Kaiser Health News. You can sign up for it. I, I get it every day. To me, it's a must read khn.org and you can sign up for their uh, email newsletters here but this particular article um, it is about you know we, we're all hearing a lot of buzz these days about the moon which is one of my favorite acronyms or the Medicare outpatient observation notice um, I also have pulled up here um, the official CMS source so this is cms.gov um, and there have been some recent frequently asked questions or FAQs here that CMS has updated regarding the moon notice and the delivery of uh, the moon notice and the requirements around that. Uh, but to get back to this KHN article, um, you know, it, it goes through some of the history, you know, starting on March 8th, all hospitals, including critical access, critical access hospitals, are, have been required to uh, provide the moon to uh, patients, which indicates uh, when they are to receive observation care and not be admitted as an inpatient. Now, for us, you know that we probably say, you know, duh, that's that's we all know about inpatient versus outpatient versus observation. And, uh, you know, for a patient, however, this this it seems like a very minor difference in status, but of course, it can have huge payment ramifications for both the hospital and the patient. Uh, it's resulted in considerable angst among patients and anxiety and frustration from those in the hospital, uh, the staff that are required to actually provide that notice. It's a really um, interesting um, personal examples here and, and you know, they kind of tug at the heartstrings a little bit here about, about you know, elderly patients that are getting large bills as a result, um, you know, and it really, the KHN article does a nice job summing up, you know, the federal law about how hospitals have to alert Medicare patients, why they're not admitted, um, how they can get, how seniors can find out they get, you know, getting surprise bills for the services that Medicare doesn't cover for observation, including some drugs and expensive nursing home care. Um, so really, an, just an interesting article about. Uh, how the seemingly minor change has, has sort of created this um, anxiety and this this issue for patients. I thought worth sharing. I know some CDI departments are involved in review of documentation related to patient stays. I doubt many of them are actually providing the notice, but um, definitely worth checking out this article. Maybe sharing with your staff, your case management staff, if they haven't seen it. Um, so again, that's khn.org, and the article is entitled, By Law, Hospitals Now Must Tell Medicare Patients When Care is Observation Only. I encourage you to check that out as well as the uh, CMS website. If you haven't seen the FAQs, they've recently been updated about delivery of the, of the moon notice. Maybe I'll just <laughs> ask uh, Fran if you have any thoughts on the story, you know, maybe Stanford Health yeah. have, a, have a process <laughs> policy for this? Um, I don't have 
exact information about Stanford's policy about this, but I know that this has come up um, in discussion. And this has been a concern even before this was put into law because of the expense to the patients, um, all of the monies that they have to pay for the care and not understanding why their family member was, or the patient themselves, was uh, in observation. And, um, you know, it's interesting in the article, as you had it up on the screen, there was a section where the wife didn't understand and was asking about the policy that the hospital had for informing patients um, or what was the policy on why a patient would be observation versus inpatient. And there's so much that goes behind that. And how do we better educate our consumers of the care that we deliver and um, how will that impact them. And then the whole concern about a patient who really needs nursing home care and that transition from being in an observation status to needing nursing home care and how that shift needs to take place in order to be as less burdensome financially on our patients as possible. So there's so much that we can do better, I think, across uh, the country with how we care for patients that really need nursing home care, not necessarily inpatient hospital care, and how we can transition them into nursing home more quickly. Um, our social service needs are very high in our country, and we have a very large baby boomer population. Our, I'm at the tail end of that. Oops, did I just admit that on the radio? <laughs> But I know that with the large baby boomer population, we have a growing geriatric population. How are we going to provide for those of us who are going to need care? And um, in situations like this is just an example. So yes, it's a law now, but um, is it maybe the right thing to do? Um, I personally think it's the right thing to do. But how can we better provide those services to people who do need nursing care mm -hmm. and they don't need inpatient care. That's really what our country now has to face, providing resources and how do we fund those resources and I think it's a, in a very, very heated topic. Yeah. How about you, Laurie? Any thoughts here? <laughs> I'm going to stay away from the heated topic because that could go on. <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, when I read those things, I, I always kind of go back to what does the CDI do? How does the CDI affect this? And, you know, we, we talk about it in our boot camps quite a great deal is when you're identifying that principal diagnosis, making sure that the patient is actually in the right status and communicating with UR and case management and working as a team so that if we're looking at a record and we are worried about a medical necessity denial, are we speaking to the people that can maybe influence getting that patient in the proper status so that they can be billed properly? Because a lot of times these decisions are happening after discharge when we figure out the patient was not in the right status. Um, and, you know, it's a difficult and confusing conundrum um, for the patients and the case managers and the physicians. And I think we as CDIs just need to make sure that you know, we're capturing the documentation that supports the proper placement of that patient and doing our best to make sure that the record is telling the patient's story. So 
I'm going to bring it a little more down to earth than Fran did, but we, we could try to solve those big problems, Fran. Maybe maybe we could win the lottery to get it done. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, challenge. Yes, and I do um, completely 100% uh, agree with Lori that the, the documentation has to be clear. And if we can provide um, more input as CDI specialists, in the whole documentation process so those patients that are in that limbo status, are they meeting inpatient uh, criteria for admission versus remaining in observation, but why be in observation for more than a day or a couple days, not even putting a time frame around it, but what can we do to assist with making sure that the documentation of everything that's needed in the record is clear and quality Absolutely. documentation. Let's keep focusing on doing that part of it for sure. All right, great stuff. All right, we're going to wrap up here. We're just in our final minute with a brief um, Actus update. Again, Actus updates a regular feature bringing you the latest updates on what's going on inside of Actus. Today, I'd like to remind our listeners you may have seen um, in our CDI strategies last week our, our weekly uh, e newsletter that voting for the Actus Advisory Board is now open. So I, this article is um, available on actus.org. It really explains some of the importance of uh, the advisory board, what it is these folks do, how much volunteer work they put in, the leadership um, that they exhibit, some of the papers they write, et cetera. Um, you can find a lot more about the board um, by clicking here. But essentially, um, you know, voting is now open. So each each year, we do elect four new board members and four rotate off. We have a 12-member board. This ensures some new perspective as well as continuity. Um, so if if you go to this article or if you go right to actus.org on our top slider, you will find the same thing. It's right on the main page. Um, you click here. Oh, that's the wrong that's the wrong link I just showed you guys. It's right here. Here's the voting page. Um, basically, it's a it's a system whereby you you can read about all of our candidates. There are seven of them um, for four available slots. So we have Deanne Will, Katie Good, uh, Pauline O'Dowd, Kelly Harney, Susan Smiths, Donna Wheeler, and Angie Curry. So we, what I would like, you know, it's just, um, available for members only, but you can go in and read their background qualifications in CDI, why it is they're interested in serving on the board. Uh, make sure you read those carefully. These are uh, statements they themselves have written. Um, and then you can cast your vote. So um, once, you've, once you're satisfied with that, I'm not going to actually do this, but uh, even though my vote does count as well, uh, you, you click this yellow vote button and it'll ask you to rank the candidates one through seven. You can just you can rank all seven in order or you can just pick your top four and then you click submit and you're done. It should only take five or eight minutes, but it's very important that we get a majority of our members vote. Uh, Actus Advisory Board is an important position. They're, they help us lead, set direction, um, strategic direction for Actus as, as well. Um, so I would encourage you all, if you have not voted yet, to go ahead and do so. Again, if you go to um, actus.org, you will find it uh, right at the top of the page. I'll just pull this up again for you. You see the article and, and how to do that. So. If you look at our slider here, um, it's right here. Important responsibility, and I encourage you all to do that. 
Okay, so at this point we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up today's uh, Actus Radio. I'm going to just go ahead and pull up our final screen here. I encourage you to join us again in two weeks. We're going to continue our series of shows leading up to our 10th annual conference. Uh, next week is uh, Physician Advisors, the Ticket to Engagement. We're going to have a, um, a couple of physicians on talking about uh, using physician advisors to the optimal advantage and how to get them involved and, and find the right physician advisor and all and uh, all things physician advisors next week. And again, this this is a preview of a of a conference session that will be held uh, in in Vegas. So I'm really looking forward to that, and I hope you are too. That will do it for today's show. As always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the program, or any other questions, just send me an email. You can get me at bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it for today. Again, I want to thank Fran and Laurie for being on the show, and we'll see you back here again in two weeks. Take thank care, you. everyone. Thanks, Fran.